Welcome to the sermon podcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on January 25th, 2015, on the basis of Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Well, do I have some good news for you today. In spite of what's going on outside, I can tell you confidently that spring is on the way. How do I know? Well, just eight days from now, on February 2nd, thousands and thousands of people are going to be flocking to this little tiny town in Pennsylvania, eagerly waiting to see what happens on this important religious American holiday known as Groundhog's Day. Of course, when I call Groundhog Day a religious holiday, I'm kidding. Kind of. February 2nd actually is an important day on the church's calendar. You see, February 2nd is exactly 40 days after Christmas. And 40 days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph were required by law to come to the temple in Jerusalem and present their firstborn son, Jesus, along with an offering to God. And this presentation of Jesus at the temple sort of closes once and for all our annual celebration of Christmas. So more good news. If you still have your Christmas tree up, don't worry. You have eight more days to take it down. Well, wouldn't you know that as February 2nd rolls around every year, it's also about the time of year when people who live in colder climates start to long for warmer weather. And so somewhere along the line, the earliest documented evidence is actually back, goes all the way back to 1864. Somewhere along the line, someone got the bright idea that on that day, February 2nd, the day we remember the presentation of Jesus in the temple, we should check to see how long winter is going to last. And somewhere along the line, someone got the bright idea that the shadow of this groundhog or its absence would be the key deciding factor. Now, if we lived in London, I would actually have better news for you this morning. Because over in England, turns out they start dreaming about sunshine and daisies even earlier than we do over here. And they've been doing it for much, much longer than we have. Not February 2nd, but actually today, January 25th, the day that we remember the conversion of the Apostle Paul is the day when they try to check to see how long winter is going to last. And in fact, going all the way back to 1676, England's Shepherd's Almanac says that the weather on St. Paul's Day will be an indicator of the weather for the rest of the year. So what does it all mean? And why are we talking about it, you might ask? Well, to begin with, I think it kind of illustrates that there's some truth in that old saying that desperate times call for desperate measures. Whether it's January 25th or February 2nd, it's about this time of year when people who live in colder climates start to get a little bit desperate. We're sick of the cold. We're sick of the snow. We're sick of not seeing the sun shine and, and not having very many daylight hours. And so we will do anything, even trusting the shadow of a little furry animal, 
to try and convince ourselves that spring is coming. And you know, I suppose that it's kind of fitting that on the day that we remember the conversion of St. Paul, people would be a little bit desperate. Because on the day of Paul's conversion, Paul himself was more than a little bit desperate. You heard the account of Paul's conversion in that lesson from the book of Acts. And in these verses from Galatians, Paul really gives us his own personal reflections on that life-changing day. He starts out by taking us all the way back to his early years, to the days when he was a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee belonged to this group of people who wanted nothing more than to set themselves apart from the rest of society and to do so by their strict obedience to the laws of Moses and to the the, the traditions of the Jewish rabbis. In fact, that word Pharisee means to set oneself apart. In these verses, Paul wants us to know just how good of a Pharisee he really was. And he does so by using two simple standards of measurement. He says, first, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. So as Paul compared himself to the other people his age, the other people in his class at his little Pharisee school, Paul realized that he came out ahead. He was better than all of them. Paul goes on to say, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. More literally, what Paul is saying there is that he was zealous for those Jewish traditions even more so than his fathers were. You see, Paul had a long history of Pharisaism in his family. But even as Paul compared himself to those of his family who had come before him, Paul again concluded that he had surpassed them, that he came out ahead. So I was kind of giving this a lot of thought this week, and I came to the conclusion that if the Apostle Paul were a quarterback in the NFL, he would be Andrew Luck of the Indianapolis Colts. I know after what happened last week, it's still a little bit too soon to be talking about football, right? But here's what I mean by that. So if Paul were a quarterback in the NFL, he wouldn't be one of the living legends, someone like Peyton Manning. He wouldn't be someone who is at his very prime, at the very top of his game, like like Aaron Rodgers. No, Paul would be more like Andrew Luck, a rising star, the next big thing, the kind of guy who has football in his blood, whose dad played quarterback in the NFL, the guy who's about to sign the largest contract in league history, the kind of guy that every single team would want to have playing for them. That's the Apostle Paul. But unfortunately, of course, Paul was playing for the enemy. Paul was working for the other side. Again, here was a guy who tried everything that he could possibly do to set himself apart by obeying those Jewish laws and traditions. And so you can imagine how a guy like Paul would feel when this new religious movement got started. This movement that wasn't known as Christianity at that time, but was simply known as the way. And as this group of people was spreading this message, that all of those laws and all of those traditions didn't matter one bit. You can imagine why Paul was so angry and why Paul 
lashed out. In fact, as Paul was converted, he was on his way from Jerusalem up to Damascus. So Jerusalem down here in the south of Israel, all the way up to Damascus. And his sole purpose was to go up there, find a bunch of these Christians, arrest them, and bring them all the way back down to Jerusalem so he could throw them in jail. That's 300 miles round trip. Walking from Madison to Chicago and back simply so that he could silence the voice of those who were undermining his way of life and his identity as a Pharisee. Like I said, a little bit desperate. But unfortunately, friends, this road that Paul was on is a road that by nature you and I were on as well. You see, just like the Apostle Paul, you and I are on this quest to separate ourselves from the people around us. You see, we know that when it comes to God, from day one, we are fighting a losing battle. We know what God says in his word. We know what his standards are for us. He says, be perfect as I, the Lord your God, am perfect. And we know that that's not going to work. And so we come up with our own set of measurements, our own set of rules instead. Here's how it usually goes. Step one is to isolate a specific set of rules, a specific set of behaviors that we are going to focus on, that we are going to be really, really good at, probably the things that come easiest for us. Being an awesome parent, being the number one student in class, being the hardest worker at the office. Maybe we even rely and put stock in our church attendance record or how much money we contribute or how many hours we volunteer. All of those are, are of course, very good things, and yet we twist and distort them when we use them to compare ourselves to other people. Step two is to isolate a specific group of people that we're going to compare ourselves with. We know that there are some people that we don't stack up very well against, so we'll just ignore them for the time being. We know we can find plenty of people who make us look really good, and so we'll focus on them. And then finally, step number three is to lash out against anyone who would undermine that system of measurements that we have set up. Nothing makes us angrier than when someone says that another set of virtues, another set of behaviors is really the mark of a good Christian or when someone tells us that the way we've been living is all wrong. We'll go to any length to silence those voices. It's really the first thing that we learned from the Apostle Paul this morning, that if we measure our lives by the law, we will desperately go to any length to set ourselves apart from the people around us. In fact, as we realize that this is the life that Paul lived, it might seem a bit surprising and a bit of a miracle that somehow we are here today thanking God and celebrating the fact that Paul is, without a doubt, the greatest Christian missionary that the world has ever seen. So what in the world happened? How did everything get turned around from Paul? Well, you heard what happened, right? So there he was on that road to Damascus, and suddenly there was this bright light shining from heaven, as bright as the sun, Paul says. 
He heard the voice of Jesus himself. He was stricken with blindness for three whole days and then suddenly and miraculously healed. It's no wonder Paul turned things around and changed his tune after that. And yet as we look at Paul's personal reflections on that day, we see that it wasn't just the impressive display of pyrotechnics that decided that made Paul decide to turn around. No, there was something much, much deeper and much more to it than that. Again, here was a guy who spent every single day of his life trying to set himself apart. Day after day, inch by inch, little by little, more and more, and he was succeeding as well as humanly possible. And yet deep down inside of him, Paul had a voice that constantly nagged at him and constantly reminded him that none of it was good enough. So what do you suppose it was like for a guy like that to suddenly hear from God that going all the way back to the time he was in his mother's womb, God had set him apart once and for all simply because he loved him. Here was a guy who spent his entire life striving and struggling to do good works, to earn God's approval and blessing. What do you suppose it was like when he first heard about God's grace? That God's approval is unconditional. That everything that God wants to give us in this life and in eternal life is completely free of charge. It's no wonder that as Paul reflected on that day, he didn't simply say that God had revealed his son to him. He says that God had revealed his son in him. That day, Paul learned much more than the simple fact that Jesus was alive. He learned what that resurrection meant. He learned that because of Jesus, all of his sins were forgiven and he had been set apart as God's dearly loved child And that, too, made him desperate. Desperate because he knew that there were all kinds of people out there in the world who were trying just as hard to set themselves apart. Desperate because he wanted to be the one to tell them the same good news that he had heard. How desperate was he? Well, we can measure the distance from Jerusalem to Damascus and then back to Jerusalem But unfortunately, we have no way of measuring how far Paul traveled after his conversion. He tells us a little bit about it in these verses from Galatians. He says that he went from Damascus out to Arabia and then back, then down to Jerusalem for 15 days, then up to Cilicia and Syria after that. In the book of of Acts, Luke tells us even more about Paul's travels, how he visited countries like Turkey, and Greece, and Italy, and maybe even made it as far as Spain. It is impossible to measure, to calculate the distance that Paul was willing to travel so that he could share this good news with more and more people. And friends, the really good news this morning is that God has put us on exactly that same road. You see, like the Apostle Paul, you and I, In spite of all of our efforts to try and set ourselves apart, we have this voice inside of us that keeps nagging and keeps reminding us, none of it 
is good enough. Friends, the journey starts when we listen to that voice. That voice is telling you the truth. The idea that that God will be happy with you as long as you try your best, or that God will be happy with you as long as you're better than some other people, those are lies. The Bible clearly tells us that God expects us to be perfect, and only when we come to grips with that fact will we give up trying to separate ourselves from others. That's stop one on this journey. Stop two is one that we need to visit very often and one at which we need to stay a good long while. It's the spot on the road where God floods us with his good news, just like he did with the Apostle Paul. The wonderful good news that in Jesus all of our sins are forgiven. The good news that through simple faith in Jesus we are his dearly loved children. We are heirs of eternal life. And the wonderfully good news that all of it is free. That there's absolutely nothing that we need to do to earn or deserve it. Now, where does the road lead from there? Well, I wish we could measure that one too but I can't. I know God's got it all figured out. He knows all the places that you're going to be. He knows all the people that he'll introduce you to. He knows all the conversations that he'll start for you. He knows all the resources that he's going to put at your disposal. He knows all of the time, all of the energy, all of the gifts and abilities, all of the money that he's going to put in your hands that you can use to spread his word. He's got that all figured out. I can't measure any of it. But one thing I know is that God will continue to make you more and more desperate to share that good news. To do for other people what God has done for you. People who just like you have to look in that mirror every morning and hear that nagging voice, not good enough. And people who are just dying to hear about the Savior who is. That's the second thing that we learned from Paul's example this morning. You see, if we measure our lives by the law, we are desperate, we'll desperately go to any lengths to try and set ourselves apart from other people. But if we measure our lives by the gospel, we will desperately go to any length to be surrounded. Surrounded by more and more people who know and believe this same good news. Surrounded by whom? I'm not sure. Surrounded by how many? I don't know. But I do know that God has put us on this road and I can't wait to find out where it leads. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.